your brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm preaching a different text today, and if you'd like to follow along, on page 1798 in the Bible in front of you, That's the large print. If it's the small print, then I don't know. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13. It's on page 1798. I think most of you have the large print in the pew. 2 Corinthians 4, and we're going to begin at verse 13. It is written... I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. In our text here, Paul is speaking and he's, he's telling people of this joy that we have, that this Jesus who was raised from the dead, and in him we have eternal life, and that he is present with us. And then in verse 15 it says, And all of this is for your benefit. Why? So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And isn't that what we want today? Is God's grace overflowing so others get to know of a Savior? And notice, it's to the glory of God, not to the glory of man. Now, I kind of teased you at the beginning of the service, but I don't know about you, but I'm bothered, bothered a lot by the fact that so many people, even in the media, keep insisting Thanksgiving Day as what? Turkey Day. You see, if we call it Turkey Day, then you have to remove any hint of God in the occasion. And that seems to be exactly what the media and the entertainment industry and our society wants to do. Turkey Day places the emphasis on food, especially that delicious big bird that you hope you don't burn, rather than giving thanks to God for the whole meal for family that's gathered, and for friends. It honors then secular man, as if man has now become 
God. Christians must remember that in today's society, I think most people are not thankful to God for what they have. Because they believe that what they have is a result of their hard work. That their homes, their tables of food, their luxury cars, their toys, is all a result of my hard work. Well, I can tell you from experience and someone else here can too, that in a second, all of that can be lost. If secularists refer to this holiday as Thanksgiving Day, then they must express thanks to someone, right? It kind of goes with the saying. And they don't openly express thanks to one another. And if they don't openly express thanks to one another, then certainly they're not going to express thanks to God. Especially if they don't believe in God. What Christians should do is to recognize the grace that God has showered down upon us so abundantly. So that as our text says, it would overflow to the glory of God for all to see. But I think there's a problem then, and it's trust. Do we really trust that God's will is going to be my will, or my will be God's will. We'd like to be the captain of our own ship. And when things don't go right, we tend to get mad. And usually the first person we tend to put that blame is on God. And it's interesting. Even people who have a, I want to say, a soft understanding or a soft belief in God, or maybe even the secularists, atheists. I can just imagine in my mind even some of them saying when bad things happen, whoa, the guy upstairs is really mad. In fact, I heard it twice this past week about the war in Israel. That God is getting back at Americans. I turn. Do you believe in God? No. So then, how are you blaming him? I think what God wants is for us to have a heart that overflows with joy and thanksgiving. If you don't mind, another Bible verse, let's flip to um, page 
972. We're going to look at Psalm 136. It's a very familiar psalm. And I think this ties in with our lesson from 2 Corinthians about how God wants us to express our grace and thanksgiving. Psalm 136, page 972, if you have a large print. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Notice in those 26 verses, you can see in italics, what is the frame that is repeated over and over? His love endures forever. Now this is not love as we see love today, but it's more as referring to deeds of love and mercy that are a fulfillment of a promise, a fulfillment of a covenant, that covenant that God made to Abraham. And when we look at this psalm, it's kind of broken down into three parts. And it fits well with the psalm that we had and part of our liturgy. The first three verses talks about how God is supreme, that he's the only God, that he's above all these other gods that Israel tried to make up. Verses 4 through 9 talk about the story of creation. who spread out the waters, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights, the sun, to govern the day, the moon, and the stars, to govern the night. Without this, how can we have food? How can we have the things that we have? That God then can bless us with. The story of creation, I believe, is so intricately connected to God's redeeming act of salvation. And in it we see the things that we should be thankful for. But notice verse 25 for a moment. He gives food to every creature. That's not just... He blesses those who are good, or he blesses those who are believers. No. He even blesses the ungrateful. Because that's the type of God who he is. Verses 10 through 22 talk about how God delivered his people out of Egypt about how he brought him into the promised land, of how he kept that promise to Abraham. 
If there's an, ever an event in Old Testament history, this story should be celebrated and the Israelites to give thanks all the time. But yet, what do we hear? They got into the wilderness and they complained. They, don't, they didn't like their steak well done. They liked it medium rare. Or whatever I'm embellishing here. But they complained. And then God provides. And they eat. And their bellies are full. And then they forget again. And then they rebel. And once again, God provides. That whole exodus from Egypt is a story of thanksgiving, of how God provided for his people in the wilderness all the way into the promised land. And if there's ever a time that we're living in a wilderness, I think it's today. Where so many people no longer believe in the one true God. The rest of the verses, 23 through 26, have to do with God's continuing love for us. And notice all of these different parts in different verses, it all ends with his love endures forever. You know, we say in our confession, I, a poor, what's the word? Miserable, Miserable sinner. Is that a contemporary word today, miserable? Imagine someone coming in for the first time to a church service and then confessing, I, a poor, miserable sinner. I probably have some explaining to do at the end of the service. But that's what we are. And it is only by God's grace and by God's thanks, and by God's love, that we have the blessings that we have. You know, you look at, and we're going to look at in our confession, uh, the first article gifts that he gives us. In the explanation, he says, and he richly and daily provides me, provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. And then we look in the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer and it talks about all the other things that he gives us. But yet, I get in the way, I get in the way of it. You know, it's like the gospel lesson last week of the talents. God gives us gifts to be used. And you know, a lot of times the parable of the talents is used for a stewardship drive or a stewardship emphasis. But if you think about it, it's much greater 
than just one part of your life at church. The gifts that he bestows upon us are to be used for your neighbor, for the checkout lady at the grocery store. You know, a week ago, I was at Fred Meyer and the lady asked me, so how are you doing? And my response, according to, I got this from Dave Ramsey, better than I deserve. And she looked at me. And then she said, how so? So, as a pastor, there's a sermon right there. And I quickly looked behind me and see if there were any people standing behind me. And lo and behold, I was the only one. So I just gave her a couple sentences about God's love for man. That despite whatever's going on, that we can be happy because we have a God who loves us so much and cares for us so much that he sent his son. And things may not be going well in your life, but that's not God's fault. Because God's will always prevails. God's will, as we heard in our second lesson from Timothy, is that God desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. She left or we left the exchange and she said, hmm, a lot to think about. You know, I never got her name off her name tag. And I was thinking of going back and seeing if I can find her. But you know, we don't have to because the seed's been planted and the Lord's going to water. You know, I said a few minutes ago, I think one of the problems we have is trust. Do we really trust that God is going to provide all that I need to support this body and life? And I think a lot of times we have to be honest with ourselves and say no. That I must help God. That my will is greater than his will. Well, Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your will, but his will. And you know, it struck me this afternoon as I was preparing this word, lean, It means exactly as it says. That we lean on God and we can trust that he will not back away and have us fall flat on our face. 
there was a kid's, uh, kid's message at some Baptist church back out east oh, a couple years ago. And I'm sure you've, you've heard of, of this kid's optic lesson, but, you know, they had a, a, a kid come up and another one stand behind and they asked that one child, you know, um, so-and-so is going to catch you, fall back. And usually, the child who's been asked to fall backwards will say no, because he does not trust the person to catch him. Well, anyway, this kid decided to give it a shot. And guess what happened? Flat. The kid behind him backed away and he went down. But the preacher used that as an illustration. That's man right there failing to do his job of helping and supporting one another. God, on the other hand, always catch us. And so in this proverb, when it says, trust in the Lord your God, to trust means to turn to him and lean on him with 100% confidence knowing that he will always catch you. So on this day tomorrow, as you remember Thanksgiving, we remember all the blessings. But let us, with cheerful and joyful hearts, be like the psalmist and remember his love endures forever. Now, parents, if you're teaching, when you're teaching your children to learn something, what's one of the best ways to teach? Repetition, right? And that's one of the, I mean, there are probably a few others. But repetition, repetition, repetition. 26 verses here we have, his love endures forever. Is that an accident? Did David make a mistake and just decided, oh, I'm just going to keep writing this down because it, it, it's important? No. 26 times, his love endures forever. And so may that bring you comfort as we rejoice in the one who daily and richly blesses us. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now.